dreaming up exciting new creations, you may have to acknowledge that you don't know how to do something. But that's not a stop sign. It's an opportunity to make new friends that have mastered specific skills. My name is Gabe Wells, and this is the Saturate Life Podcast. Episode number 11 with the creative, eclectic entrepreneur, Paul Budnitz. Dad was a nuclear physicist, and you were actually coding nuclear physics, uh, what was it, security analysis codes at, fi- at 15 or 16 years old? Yeah, I was, I was like one of those computer geek kids. My summer job was um, they were trying to figure out how to know well, it's basically this like sort of basic system that they use to figure out how uh, whether or not a nuclear reactor is safe. And these are, I think, for airplanes and stuff too. Where they basically take every part that makes up the whole thing, right, and then they assign a probability of that part failing, and then they create what's called a fault tree. So then you take all those different parts and you um, add up all the probabilities of any part along the way failing, and then if that part failed, then what happened, then how does that affect other things, and then the probability of the next thing failing if that fails. So I created this like really ridiculously long program that um, they could plug in all these probabilities and come out with whether or not a reactor would melt down. It has obvious problems if you think about it, because <laughs> you've got to put in the right probabilities, yeah. and then like things like... Um, Things like typhoons happen that you weren't really expecting, and then <laughs> yeah, did you just stop doing uh, it yeah, too much pressure? I, no, it wasn't that much pressure on me, man. I just I was a kid, you know. I thought it was interesting. I, I had grown up quite a bit and don't have so much faith in things like that anymore. Yeah, I know. <laughs> recent uh, events have shown a lot of things. Can yeah, go wrong. Hey, that was exactly where I was going with it. Yeah, so. I mean, you didn't just do that. You also then started programming. What age were you when you started programming for the Commodore 64? And, and what games uh, did you make? God, I think I must have been still in high school also. Yeah, I was working on uh, converting Defender and some of those, some other games over with some other guys. I, I have to admit, I really wasn't the best by any means. Mm-hmm. It was an independent group of people. And and uh, by that time, I was sort of growing out of, I you know, I found it. I found writing code back then was really different than the way it is now. And I found it sort of life deadening after a while because it was just, you know, I was just spending all my time sitting in a little dark room and I was actually interested in a lot of other things. So that was about the time I started kind of phasing out from doing this, doing that kind of thing and, you know, getting interested in girls and things like that. And <laughs> art and other stuff. I mean, your, your history is so thick with things. I mean, like there's, is your mind just flourishing with ideas? Yeah, man, you know, I, like a lot of people, like, who are a bit freelance in life, I always, I don't, I mean, I, you know, I always try to have a few things going because that's how I earn my living and manage to eat, you know, and, uh, but I've always been interested in a lot of different things. So, yeah, so, like, I find something I'm interested in and then I do it. Yeah, like the Dunny, so. the Dunny and the money. I, I, I actually didn't even collect these toys. I'm just fascinated with that, that boom. I, I witnessed it just happening uh-huh. and I was so... So wow that like you had this idea of creating a collectible toy, which now is just you know all over the place. It's all kind of collectible toys, everything. Funny, right? Yeah, it's amazing. So, how did you how did you span how did you transition from somebody that's so into coding into making collectible toys? Um, God, well, a lot of transitions because I went to school. I got about halfway through studying physics and. Um, 
decided that I was going to uh, drop out. I was actually doing some astronomy and some physics and a bunch of other stuff that was kind of random. And I uh, went to see the dean, who was very kind to me. He said, well, what could induce you to stay? And I said, I'd like to try art. And he said, okay, I'd never taken an art class. So I went. So he just kind of wrote down what I had to take, and I took nothing but art classes and got through school. And then after college, I was photographing professionally, and then I started writing screenplays and making my own films. And simultaneously, I owned a company where we were buying and selling because I had earned a living and the film thing was basically I would earn a little bit of money here and there but and we'd sell the films but we never made so much so so I owned a company that bought and sold used Levi's to the Japanese so we'd go out and we'd buy like you know really 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 high-end vintage clothing and then sell them for like you know 10 or 20 thousand dollars a piece to Japanese that was pretty cool and then we'd recut and then we'd take the garbage that we couldn't sell and we'd recut it and kind of make kind of fashion stuff out of it and then sell that to um, Urban Outfitters and you know, more domestic stuff at a lower price. So that was cool while that lasted. And then um, I owned a company called Mini Disco where we were hacking microphones and we were selling <laughs> mini disc players because I was using them to make movies. It was just, it was just kind of one thing to, to the other until I ended up you know, with Kid Robot, which I sold a few years ago. And I actually, you know, I think the company has kind of not gone in the direction I would take it. Um, so I, I'm not really involved much with them anymore. I, okay. I sold it okay. a couple of years ago and I, I still, uh, we're making a movie and I still have some involvement. Um, but they don't, you know, I wish they listened to me a little more. <laughs> oh no. I heard you were, but, so you're not a creative director or anything. You're not actually in the, like, cause you were very involved in um, like the creative direction of everything, but now you're, you know, oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I was doing it, yeah, totally. I, you know, I'm really busy with the bikes and yeah. a bunch of other stuff, but it was time to move on for me. It was just personally time to do some other stuff. I thought I was repeating myself mm-hmm. and, um, and you know, I had some investors that were interested in buying it from me and it made sense at the time. Um, but you know, I, I, there's also this founder syndrome. So you can't, you kind of can't say that I'm like unbiased because, you know, like when you build something, it's your baby. You have all these opinions that aren't always the same as everyone else's. I see, I see every little detail of things, you know. I see that. Like you even, you even created your own, like when you were doing uh, movies, you were creating movies, you actually made your own desktop video editing software. Yeah, yeah, because it was crazy. <laughs> like about '97 or '98, and the only like the Avid system was out then, but you know it was really expensive to even by the hour to rent one, and it couldn't afford it, and no one, you know, I, you know, all the iMovie and all that stuff, all you know, Final Cut didn't really exist yet. So, um, so yeah, I took QuickTime One, which was the first version of QuickTime on the on the Mac back when the Macs weren't even they weren't even Macs yet. It was like uh, what the hell I was I was using back then? Maybe it was called a Mac. Anyways, there was an Apple something, and it it was like a pretty terrible computer. But I kind of hacked the software so that it would, you know, because because video runs at 30 frames per second, right? But films at a different, uh, actually 29.97, which is weird, and films at 24. And we were shooting actually on real film, so I needed to be able to cut it. So I figured out how to slow down the frame rate of um, QuickTime and then speed it up again so I could actually edit in real time on a home computer. And I didn't have any money, so I was literally, like, buying hard drives from these. Um, there were these big companies back then that were selling, like, like hard drives and stuff. They're probably still around, but 
they all had 30-day return policies. So I had credit cards, so we would just buy hard drives, like tons of them, because back then storage was yeah. really expensive. It wasn't yeah. like you'd get a terabyte of storage. So we would buy like these big hard drives, which back then were like, you know, two gig hard drives. <laughs> and we just have them stacked up. And then, they, and we had all these receipts lined up and then at the end of 30 days, we would like send them back and get our money back and then buy another one. It was very funny. It was just this big juggling act that went on for months and months. And that's basically how I was, you know, movies. It was cool though. I mean, cause it, it, it came out with like a really great effect that you couldn't at that time. wasn't. Can you actually look at code say in final cut and understand it? I mean, do you understand how that works? Like, cause I always look at it like it's magic. It's just magic to me. It's pretty magical to me too. Yeah. Yeah. No, I actually am. I always had like this perspective of knowing just what I need to know and nothing more. So I'll learn okay. what I need to learn, and I'll ask for help from people who are like way into things. And so uh, you know, I'll learn what I need to learn. Like you know, like for if you look at Kid Robot, I mean, I programmed the database system that ran the whole company and for the first four or five years, including the cash wow. registers. Because I didn't have enough money for a really good system, and I wanted a, I wanted a customized system. And in fact, after a while, I just couldn't deal with it anymore because I didn't want to spend my time doing that. I was busy designing things. So we just bought an off-the-shelf system, and suddenly we had to hire like six or seven people just to deal with what a disaster it was. It's actually one of the worst decisions ever was to buy an off-the-shelf. So the bicycle company is now run also by a database system I created. Are you living in Boulder right now, or you're, is the bicycle company in Boulder? No, we're actually, we're in Burlington, Vermont. We were in Colorado, so temporarily, Kid Robot moved out there because I was out there, and then I finished the sale, and then we just felt like we wanted, we missed the East Coast, so, so here we are. Yeah, we're in Vermont. And I, would, I would think Burlington, Vermont, and uh, Boulder, Colorado have similar kind of environments or, or culture. Is that they true? They do. Well, yeah, there's a similar vibe. The thing about Boulder is that it's kind of in the middle of the mountains, and it's full of, um, it has a lot more money. Like, homes are, like, three times as expensive there, and it's a lot more isolated in a funny way. Like, mm-hmm. Burlington is in Vermont, and Vermont's a whole state full of pretty cool things going on. Colorado has interesting things going on, but if, if the space is just so vast. You mm-hmm. feel a lot more isolated out there. You don't feel connected to, like, let's say, New York. Denver's an interesting place. There's something just about people in Vermont that I just really connect to and, and love. So, And the whole there's a whole kind of do-it-yourself vibe out here, which goes along with what we do. You know, people tend to, you know, even the hippies out here can cut wood, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Boulder hippies all have credit cards. <laughs> and Vermont's one of those places, too, that people don't really leave that much. You know, Vermont, they, no. they just kind of stay there, and it's like this very liberal yeah, kind of uh, welcoming environment. I mean, I've seen a documentary on the Ben and Jerry's and everything, and that kind of, yeah. that kind of environment that they, they kind of flourished in. Um, is ideal to me. I, I really love it. I live in Denver myself, and I love it. Oh, you do, too. Huh? Yeah, it is very yeah. isolated, though. If you go to the east of Denver, I mean, you could be driving yeah. for a while without seeing anything. There's really nothing out there. But... Oh, yeah, you could drive. Well, I think you can drive for like a couple thousand miles before you hit anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's yeah. nice to have the mountains. In Denver, yeah, so Denver's cool, but Boulder was just not my thing, is a nice way to put it. So, yeah. Do you, what about the biking, though? I figured it's a good area for biking. Well, you can't. I mean, I think living in Boulder is probably the best place, best place to bike in the States. I mean, weather-wise and with all the bike trails and all. But Burlington has a lot of, a lot of that going on, too. It's great bike trails and great bike culture. And, in fact, we have our office here is in a Civil War-era warehouse 
that is connected to a bicycle cafe. I like cafe that's like a bike themed cafe. So we like walk out our door and they've got like a bike wash and bike tools for people and really great coffee. And, you know, it's pretty cool. I really wanted to talk to you about the bike uh, company that it's called uh, Budnitz Bike, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. When did that start? Only a year ago. I mean, I was doing it, like I was building my own bikes for several years before and kind of into biking. When I was in New York, that was, yeah, I think it's the primary way I got around, you know. Mm-hmm. And I kept building my own bicycles, and I couldn't find, I generally couldn't find bikes um, that were as beautiful as I wanted and that were as light and as strong and as just elegant. And so I started building my own frames and uh, getting some real super amazing people to help me figure out how to do that. And one of the secrets in life is asking for help. You just go to the best of the best you can get to and just ask them to help you and act stupid. And people are willing to really do a lot for you <laughs> if you are stupid. So I just, so I learned, I learned a lot about, you know, I'm going to learn about bicycle engineering. And that went on for years and years and years and years. And I kept making frames and then people would kind of like them. And then I'd end up making another one to make it better. And we keep making it better and better and better. And we ended up with the model number one. And uh, people liked them so much, they kept buying them out from under me that we set up a company to sell them. And then that just became this company. That's amazing. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like yeah. You're so broad in, in what you've accomplished. I think that's it's really astounding. Thank um, you. You're welcome. <laughs> so, Sierra, you also, do you live part of the year in Amsterdam as well? No, we were. In fact, we were going back and forth from Amsterdam. You know, probably have to update like my status on some social networks. Yeah, we were. We spent a lot of time. My wife's German. We spent a lot of time in Amsterdam, and I was there learning about bicycles, actually. And uh, but now, now we're more apparently back in the states now. I'm not there so much anymore. We we had a place in Amsterdam, and we were going back and forth and thinking we might even move there more full time. But we actually, you know, I just realized that we love the states, and that's where we want to live. So that's where yeah. we are. I've talked to a lot of people that move here from, you know, wherever in the world, and everybody says the same thing. You know, the States have its problems. There's a lot of flaws, but at the same time, it's still pretty awesome here. It's, it's a great place it to is. live. It is. You have a lot of, well, I think the thing is that the U.S. has a lot of horrible things going on. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there's a certain innocence to the people. And I think there's a sort of jadedness you see in Europe that people don't take, don't approach things like it was so much openness. Americans are kind of stupid, which is really great, you know, because <laughs> I include myself, you know. It's like I think a lot of my success comes from just being too dumb not to try it. And, you know, if you spend a lot of time in Europe, my experience is you'll say to someone, God, my wife's German. This happens so much in Germany. You go and you say, I'm going to start a bicycle company. And people will say, why would you do that? I mean, it's already been done, you know. There's so many great bicycles. You'll never, you'll never succeed. And you even hear that in the States, but here I go, I'm going to start a bicycle company. People say, well, that's a pretty dumb idea, but go for it, man. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah exactly. <laughs> so, and then things work out. Yeah. That's, yeah that's... I'm, going to sell, I, I'm going to start a company that sells toys to adults. Uh, what? <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, man, it's going to be great. You know, we'll sell them, we're going to, we'll use uh, graffiti artists and we'll sell them in limited edition. Yeah. yeah, that's a pretty dumb idea. <laughs> <laughs> I guess if you say it out loud like that, yeah. But now, now you look back and you're like, that was a fantastic idea. Yeah, or like, yeah, I'm gonna make, I'm gonna make city bikes. So yeah, they're gonna, they'll start at twenty six hundred dollars and go up to ten thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah, that's a pretty dumb idea. <laughs> it's like, yeah, but it works, man. And the and the bikes are awesome. And that's the secret. You make something great. It's so hard to raise money in the states, though. I have to say. Yeah. 
impossible. Because you tell someone like that, something like that, and they're like, mm, we want something that we can measure, you know? You can't measure awesomeness. <laughs> yeah, it, that's one thing How do we do. invest in awesomeness? The Italians <laughs> like to invest in awesomeness. That's they the do. thing about the Italians. Yeah, they do. How do you, why do you say that? What because you... Italian, Italy's just full of fashion brands. A little, like people like businesses where people just go, I will make the most beautiful hiking boots in the world, you know? And everyone says, all right, that sounds great. Beautiful hiking boots, you know? And then, like, you get, like, Demi design or something, you know? You get these, these companies, they make, like, you know, 5,000 hiking boots a year. That's all they do. They're hand-sewn in some little town up in the mountains, you know? That's what's great about Italy. They do do that there. In, um, in Burlington, Vermont, I, this, is, yeah. this is one thing I have. Like, with your bikes, like, this type of bike, you don't really need like spandex type of racing gear to bike in. Yes. What's your opinion on just everybody wearing kind of spandex for biking in the street when you're just kind of like exercise biking? Do you find that unnecessary that you're not really going that fast that you need to get the spandex (laughs) on? (laughs) Well, so my thing is that I, I, this is just me, right? Like I understand there's totally a place for bike racing and people love it. So whatever. It could be worse, but and my thing is that I um I I, my whole, I like to keep my life fairly simple, and I do like to get quite a bit of exercise. Obviously, I'm a bicycle company, so uh, I try to integrate it into my life a lot more. So I wear clothing that will allow me to go on a 20 mile ride if I want to, mm-hmm. and um, a lot of layers. And but I'm also fairly fashionably dressed, so. I'm kind of careful on the clothing I pick, but yeah, my, my thing is like, if you have to get dressed up to go out and exercise, that's great. But isn't it better if you can like, if you can get your exercise riding to work or going to the grocery store? I mean, and so, you know, I, 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 I will go out and go on a, I mean, this weekend I probably rode 50 miles on a single speed wow. in a pair of jeans. And, you know, and, but on the other hand, I'm wearing like, you know, those Levi's commuter jeans, they're all stretchy. Uh-huh. So, you know, it's pretty practical. But I'm almost a stretchy spandex. I just look way cooler. And, I'm, and I got a T-shirt on and I don't have like... So I can do that and then I get to stop in a coffee shop and I don't look like a fool. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just feel it's a little overused. But again, you know, that's a pretty big judgment. So I, I, I feel the same way. I just... Why, they're not going that fast. Why are they wearing that? It's like... But, <laughs> it's so funny. It's true. But... Uh, <laughs> I feel bad. I thought about that way. That's funny. Well, whatever. That, there are worse sins in the world, I'd say. Exactly. Exactly. Riding your bike. If, you, if someone's on a bike, I don't really care what they're wearing. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I just want to. Yeah. I want to ask. Do you have any advice that you'd like to give to other kind of entrepreneurs, like young people that are starting off, that um, you know, maybe habits or something that helped you uh, get to where you're at? Uh, yeah, man. I mean, I think that's the top thing is. Um, is uh, ask for help and, you know, and act dumb. I mean, realize how <laughs> stupid you are and then just, like, you go... I, seriously, like, my whole way of doing business is to go and find something I want to do, realize I have no... I admit I have no idea how to do it, but that I'm kind of interested in it, and then go get people who are really experts in those things to help me and then make something awesome and then and not... And I'm somehow not afraid about of looking like an idiot along the way. And so, I mean, you have no idea. I would walk into bicycle shops and go, 
yeah, you know, this part over here, you know, that's the stem. Yeah, I say, yeah, yeah, the stem. Like, yeah, why does that same. look so ugly? You know, and things, I mean, you know, it's 10 years ago. But, and, I, and I learned a lot because I was willing to go in and act dumb. And by the time, you know, after a year of, and I would just go into bicycle shops, I would ride every bicycle. And they would just kind of get really pissed <laughs> off at me. Or I find, you know, generally pe- shops where people are pretty cool about it. I'd say, yeah, I want to start a bicycle company. I'm just going to ride all your bikes. Oh, yeah, no problem. So I just go and, like, take out every bicycle in the place and, learned everything I could about what made a, a bike ride better than, and worse. And I think that like that willingness, that sort of willingness to approach things simply and innocently and without pretension and ask for help has always served me really well. And I think a lot of people think that they have to be an expert in something to do it. And then they never start. And in fact, a lot of the experts never start either. So anyway, that, I would say that would be top of my list. And that's, and that's really good advice. That's just like, it's something simple, but it's, it's so practical and easy to do. And you're totally right. Like so many people, I mean, I know I, I'm totally guilty of that too, being like, I don't have enough experience. I can't do that. Maybe you should just do it. You're absolutely know. right. You know? Take the time to learn. Yeah, exactly. But take the time to learn or, or yeah. And just be, be diligent and obsessive about it. And in the end, um, and follow through in the end, you'll produce something <laughs> may or may not be good. <laughs> have you ever have you ever had anything that failed? Oh yeah, yeah, a lot. I'd say about I'd say about half the things I do are, you know, kind of don't go anywhere. I kind of try not to continue with things if I know they're not going to work out. You know, at some point you kind of get this feeling you're like, mm, this is not going to be like a really great. You know, like it, I've done some technology stuff. I'm like, yeah, you know, he's going to make money. And just kind of, cause some guys offered me 5 million bucks um, a couple of years ago to do a company. And I, I got all the way through to the point where they'd give me this term sheet and they were going to invest. And it was a really good deal. And I just like looked at it and I said, this isn't going to work. I just had this feeling. I went to them and I said, this isn't going to work. I don't want your money. And they were so excited. These like investment guys. I was the first person who ever didn't take their money. <laughs> They're like, we'll invest in anything you do ever, which is great. I haven't had anything for them to invest in yet, but um, but yeah, I've, I've I've had a lot of things not work. I just kind of like to watch my ass and not to invest too much in it or time in it until I'm pretty sure it's going to go. Yeah, do you know Freakonomics? That the guys that wrote was Stephen. Levitz? Yeah, I heard about that. I have, no, I don't know anything about it. Uh, but they did a whole, they have a podcast now too. They had some books, but they had a podcast. And one of their podcasts was about that and about the idea of like being smart enough to give up at the right time. You know, like people yeah, say right. don't quit, but maybe you should quit on certain things because they can no, work totally, on the dude. But so, yeah, both things are valuable. You just need to have a balance. You got to stick through. I mean, a lot of times you got to sweat through things too if you think it's going to work out. Yeah, because I don't think that, like, the kid robot wasn't, didn't take off right away, did it? It was a little slow at first. No, nah, it took a while. It took several years. Yeah. I mean, again, like, you're doing what? <laughs> you know? That's a stupid idea. I don't have any money either, so. Excellent. Yeah. Well, thanks so much yeah. for taking my call. I really appreciate it. This has been fun talking to you. Yeah. Same. Let us know when this comes out, and uh, we'll help you promote it. All right, excellent. I'll do that. All right. Cool. Have okay. A good one. See you.